Hey, everybody, we're back. Hey, Derek. Hey, Barb. So, let's see here. So much to talk about. So, <laughs> Let me think. So, much. so, so much. Okay, I got to just get this one thing out of the way, which is the whole, I got taken to the woodshed by readers about private cloud, writing about private cloud being dead, which, by the way, I didn't really say, but I was report. they were shooting the messenger. However, there's, there's, a, there's, there's obviously a lot of hurt feelings out there. And somehow I managed to placate some of them because I did a story this week about at Walmart Labs and the fact that it's building a ginormous private cloud with OpenStack. And everybody descended and said, aha, private cloud. But, but the they're fools. Is, well, there you go. And also, <laughs> uh, the guy from, a very nice man from, from at Walmart Labs did say that they had hired a 1,000 engineers over the past year, not just to run the cloud. But, you know, you, I think that, the, I think that the, well, at Walmart Labs has resources that the bulk of most companies do not have. Yeah, I was so going to say. So I just want to get that out. I just want to get that out of the way. I was going to say, you know, Walmart... <laughs> <laughs> it's Walmart for Christ. Walmart sake. building an open source, open stack cloud, is not the same as anyone as someone buying, you know, vendor A's open stack cloud, and deploying a <laughs> hundred thousand nodes of it. I haven't read anything positive about. I mean, I don't, I don't follow the space as closely as I used to, obviously, but I haven't read anything positive about private cloud in a well, long time. I agree. I agree, and that's what I reported on last week because there were a bunch of studies out about and, and actually there was another one out just today from right scale basically showing private cloud adoption had pretty much stalled while docker adoption which i don't know if this is an either or thing had been soaring and here's the other thing about walmart which i just have to point out um i asked the, i asked amandeep who is the guy in charge um whether all walmart would ever do you know spike into a public cloud like you know what's a very dicey question because the big public cloud is Amazon and Amazon.com is Walmart's biggest competitor and he was very nice he said that's way above my pay grade so <laughs> just wanted to get that out there it's like the guy we had a guy from Gap, the Gap last year at Structure talking about OpenStack and other things and you know if you're a retail person and you're building a cloud chances are you're not going to be using Amazon Web Services I'm just saying <laughs> so yeah that's true uh, yeah. I, I was just saying I, I just had to look this up because I, I know I was like I spoke with someone else building an OpenStack cloud recently too and it oh, was uh, it was eHarmony oh is doing it and I think uh, last year I mean PayPal's doing <laughs> it but you know but it's all these large you know kind of I mean eHarmony's not that large in tech right. compared to the rest right. of them but point is it's not it, yeah it's not like you it's, just, it's, yeah, you just. <laughs> well, it was in the right scale data. I mean, they, you know, it was 903 respondents. They weren't all right scale customers. I think about a quarter of them were. I think they showed that OpenStack adoption was around 13 or 15 percent of the respondents said they were doing it, but that a big number, like maybe 35 percent, said they are evaluating it. So, I mean, I think there's still interest. Uh, I think there is interest, but you know. Do you know how the bus get... how the business models work there? Because. No. The, the one thing that's curious <laughs> to me is like, you know, if I compare OpenStack to Hadoop, let's say another very popular open source project, mm -hmm. most people or a lot of companies, I should say, I always say people move companies. We personify things, anthropomorphize mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. We the a, a lot of companies will, you know, the big ones will usually adopt. Like they'll just, you know use like Apache Hadoop, kind of the core stuff. Right. It seems like, but a lot of companies will use Cloudera or HortonWorks or MapR or whatever, and they use the free version. Right. And, you know, then, then maybe they pay for services or, you know, whatever additional software. Right. Maybe they don't. But 
with OpenStack, I don't I don't know if there's that free <laughs> and, tier. And like, can you go get? You free... can I, you can go download OpenStack. OpenStack, open but can you get like but... Red Hat OpenStack or Cisco OpenStack oh, or oh, or whatever well, and work? You know, because those are kind of like in, like in the Hadoop distros, those are kind of hardened that's distributions. A really good question. And I don't I think in the case of Red Hat, you cannot. But here's the thing. Well, actually, this is that, that was the question for the for the um, Walmart guy. I was like, so what distribution are you using? And he said, well, our initial implementation, we used Red, Rackspace, but then we hired a lot more of our own people. And then they were very cagey about whether they're, you know, he basically seemed to be saying that they're building this themselves. But then on the Rackspace earnings call the other night, Rackspace mentioned Walmart as a customer and that Walmart will be at their conference in a couple of months. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Maybe um, they maybe they used. To, I mean, they, Rackspace did, they did have some consulting services around, and maybe they. Yeah, yeah. So I think so. there's more to be heard here, but but you know, I don't think there's like in the Red Hat case, as far as I know, there's not like a CentOS equivalent. To open Red Hat OpenStack, you know, if you want to use Red Hat Linux and you don't want to pay for it, you can do CentOS or yeah. The, whole, just, the Red Hat model is you're paying for support. I, I just think it's so. I think and, and I, listen. I mean, I'm sure a lot of smarter people have put thought into this, but as I'm thinking about it now, <laughs> off the top of my head, it, it seems like one of the reasons it might you know this private cloud thing might be so slow is there's rarely been it seems a you know a kind of free way to get into it with any sort of enterprise because the companies doing it have largely been. Well, they've right. either been like companies that don't have a history of open source, or mm -hmm. they've been companies who are startups and, you know, like Nebula was selling like a whole hardware mm -hmm. thing, which mm -hmm. is another layer that you have to get into. Piston might have a free thing. I'm not certain. Well, yo, this is a very good question. Now you're going to make me go back to the video. But anyhow, point, the point being, I, I just, maybe the, maybe the barriers are too high or something. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's a, anyway, it was an interesting story and there was, there were a lot of things they didn't want to talk about. <laughs> and so uh, I think we'll have to dig deeper there. But, and, and another sign to me that private cloud is not, well, I mean, you can read this anyway, but Rackspace, which has up until now, you know, broken out public cloud versus dedicated cloud, which includes like everything like managed services, dedicate, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. They're going to munge those together now. So, you know, they say it's a, because they want to incent their salespeople correctly. I would, my suspicion is that their public cloud business is not, you know, they're kind of conceding the space. So, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, but I'm a cynic. I'm a cynic. It used to be that was the growing space. Yeah, and it and grew could, last year a okay. little bit. Yeah, you could but, watch it kind of growing. For a while, it was growing at a pretty decent clip, I think. But then it yeah. kind of, yeah, it sounds like you know maybe that flattened out a bit, and it's not worth breaking out anymore. Like, <laughs> it's hard to provide fanatic, fanatical support and service if you can't charge, if you can't, you know, when you're facing these very cutthroat competitors in public cloud. Anyway, that's enough of that. What what about big data? Oh my God! Speaking of open source, so much. <laughs> well, so so the big, the big big news this week, which I think. Now, now I'm trying to remember when we reported that. We might have talked about it last week, so you know, bear with us if, if it's repetitive. Well, <laughs> we could so, deja vu, man. Yeah, so I, at some at some point, I, I my brain is not apparently what it should be. I reported that it looked like Pivotal was going to be open sourcing a lot of its big data stuff mm -hmm. and possibly partnering with HortonWorks on, on part of it. So on on Tuesday, they they finally announced what was happening, and it, it's essentially, you know, it's open Pivotal, which is you know the VMware EMC spinoff. 
mm-hmm. which has like green plum and this Hadoop distribution and this Gemfire database, not to mention Cloud Foundry and all these other things. The so, island of broken toys. Yeah, so so it's open. <laughs> Sorry, harsh. that's harsh. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was from a that was a form of from a former Pivotal executive <laughs> who I will not name. Sorry. So, so they're open sourcing a bunch of they're they're open sourcing all the big data stuff essentially. And they're still selling it. So there was mm-hmm. the reports that it was just getting out of the business or something. They're still selling it. They're just open sourcing a lot of it. So they have, I guess. Was the Hortonworks part correct? Well, so, so yeah. So essentially what's happening is Pivotal, it sounds like, won't be developing the, like its core Hadoop tech anymore. It'll be mm-hmm. it'll be focusing on the stuff on top of that. And, and it also announced and helped form this open data platform with IBM and Hortonworks and GE and Teradata and a bunch of other companies. So they're all going to be developing... It sounds like a core Hadoop set of code mm-hmm. that then, if you so if you buy something from one of them, you'll know you're getting the same core code. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then there will be interoperability. Blend. And then it'll be interoperable. And, and furthermore, this allows then, now Hortonworks is going to provide support for Pivotal if people have problems with, you know, like the core Hadoop, right. and not the Pivotal higher level stuff. And for, did I miss this? I'm, I'm assuming. And they did lay off. Is... And they did lay off some people. They did, you know that that so the so parts of that right. were true. Um, they claim it was consolidation, various reasons. But anyhow, long story short, they did, and right. you know it, part of it was was to get out of this this business of of building its own Hadoop distribution and and testing it and certifying it and all that goes along with that when they could just have Hortonworks do that for them. Right, <laughs> and, and let me just make sure, Cloudera has nothing to do with this, correct? Oh my gosh, Cloudera I... wrote two blog posts, one from Michaelson <laughs> and one from Doug Cutting, the Hadoop creator. Uh-huh. Doug's was a little more um, diplomatic, shall we say. <laughs> Mike's, I'm trying to remember, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just going to try to remember was some Was it basically quotes. bombs away? Yeah, it was something like, they say this is t- you know going to further the open source ecosystem and something something and then the next line was i don't believe them you know what i'll link to that it was antithetical to the whole notion of open source we already have the apache foundation it was kind of great he he pretty much said you know hortonworks you know we commend them and you know respect all the work they've done and they've been a great help to the ecosystem with all the stuff they've developed and contributed to open source and and pivotal has not been and now it's going to be even worse <laughs> and, and and what's you know i can't believe hortonworks is lending it this any credibility was kind of the the, the takeaway but you know this is kind of you know, oh my it's so crazy because it it, it it kind of it died down for a little bit like some yeah. of the some of the competitiveness in that space yeah and then, i think it'll come back just in time oh for totally data. well yeah well here's what happened so and then the other thing, you know, is, is Hortonworks had an IPO in December, mm-hmm. and it's been doing reasonably well. And so, uh, yesterday, well, Tuesday, I, I mean, this is the, as far as I know, the first you know Hadoop company right. to do this, or a lot, you know, a lot of private companies won't even do this. Uh, Cloudera came out and said that it had earned more than a hundred million dollars in revenue in 2014, which, <laughs> which I think was a not so subtle way of saying, you know, look, how, we're much bigger. We're not public. You know, that'll happen, but we. <laughs> make you know have have a much larger business so it's like it's like there are two camps these two camps the jets and the sharks of hadoop yeah That's so awesome. it's it's pretty i mean it's fun to cover it again because it kind of for a while it was just like product update product update now yeah, it's exactly. like now it's like we have the you know all guns blazing again so we love it and and and, and mike and uh rob are going to be at structure data right? yeah yeah and i'm going to be talking to rob pretty soon and you know the hortonworks first earnings calls coming up on monday actually is so 
that's going to be interesting. But um, yeah, and, and uh, actually, Map our CEO will be there as well, John Schrader. So it should be interesting, and uh, awesome. we can talk all about That'll this. Be fun. Yeah, I think I think the Hortonworks whole play at this point. By the way, just so I can, though there is too. It's a partner with everyone. I mean, it's no surprise that it would do this because right. the more companies it has that it can... I mean, one of, one of its big things has always been selling support to these other tech vendors. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> they don't, <laughs> because it gets a dupe and they don't always. And to the extent that it can go out and say, yeah, we'll support your, your customers who want to buy this. And right. you guys don't have to invest the resources in that. It's a pretty smart right. place. So, I mean, you're going to see a lot more of... <laughs> Yeah, it gives it gives Horton, <coughs> excuse me, gives Horton Works, you know, feet on the ground in these big accounts. It's a really good move. Yeah, and I mean, the, the Cloud Air guys are saying, well, you know, you have to buy into this type of thing, and it's not in Capache. Anyone can contribute, and this and all the. And it's, I mean, there are fair points, I think, on all grounds, but anyhow, it's <laughs> it's it's back to being. I think what you're going to see it, <laughs> and reports have come out. I mean, they've always been. We've been talking about Cloud Air and Mapbar going public for a long time, and. Uh, Venture Beat and Fortune variously reported recently that that both are planning to do it. They've heard rumors of. I forget. Uh, I mean, Cloudera just has a just. A, I can't. Can I say shitload? I guess. Yeah, I'm done. sure. Go I guess ahead. I just did. It's already happened. This has a shitload of investment. I mean, I forget yeah. what it was, but man, so a lot. It sounds like by the end of the year, both of those companies will be public as well. So I think a lot of this is just ramping up. You know <laughs> the the verb the saber rattle. Yeah, it's just one upsmanship on every front. <laughs> like, it makes our lives so much more. It's interesting, funny because it used think? to be yeah, it used to be Hortonworks to come out and say, well, Cloudera is not open enough, and Mapbar is not open enough, and now they're coming out and saying, hey, what's up with this new open data thing? That's not open enough. <laughs> like, How open is open? <laughs> it's great. Someone someone asked me on Twitter, actually one of our recent guests, Matt Akko, he was like, what's the opposite of open washing? Is it <laughs> closed washing? Like there's this. <laughs> it's kind of well, and regardless, it's fun and. You know, it makes my life a little more interesting, so I can't complain. And if you're That's buying great. it, it just gives you yeah. all sorts of more things to think about. Exactly. <laughs> you're, like, exactly. you're like, well, Han, they said that Cloudera is closed, but... Well, the know, entertainment it's... value should not be underestimated. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, <coughs> it's kind of like when comedians get, you know, kind of get anxious about who's going to be elected president because it gives right. them something to, <laughs> to make <laughs> jokes about. You know, I have no vested interest in whether Cloudera or Map are or... Hortonworks is the biggest to do vendor right. and who makes the most money. But, you know, from a from a professional standpoint. Well, which one is the most entertaining? Like, you know, exactly like you said, I think there are certain comedians who are praying for Sarah Palin to run again. <laughs> so who is the Sarah Palin of, of Hadoop? <laughs> This is completely off topic, but did you see the Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary? I did. Where, she, where Sarah Palin was in the audience, and she's like, what will you pay me to run for president? Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> How much more will you pay me if Donald Trump is my running mate? It was pretty good, but even better than that was the roundup to the lead-up to the show where she and Alec Baldwin were on the red carpet pretending <laughs> to like each other. That was priceless. Anyway, we're, so, di yeah. we're diverging. That's a complete divergence, but anyhow. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I think that I think we're running out of time. So I want to tell we're everybody they should so stay tuned. Stay tuned because we have a great guest. We have Joseph Sarosh, who is the corporate VP of machine learning for Microsoft and so, structured data. Structured yes. data guest who will be on stage with Barb talking Telling, machine learning teaching, and Microsoft. Teaching me and, about machine. He's going to be speaking machine learning to me. That's a scary prospect. So, so, so if anyway, you, anyone at the show is going to you're going to get like a, a first hand lesson. <laughs> and machine learning it'll be fantastic awesome anyway thanks for tuning in hey everybody thanks for coming back we're here with joseph sarosh sarosh am i pronouncing that right 
Yes, Joseph Sidosh. Okay. okay. Uh, Corporate VP of Machine Learning for Microsoft. Um, thanks for joining us, Joseph. Uh, you guys have some news this week. Can you take us through it? Yes, of course. We announced, first of all, the general availability of Microsoft Azure Machine Learning. This is a fully managed service in the cloud. It democratizes machine learning, and that's what uh, it is aimed to do. Uh, it's meant to take away all the hard work around authoring machine learning workflows. It supports open source. It supports R now. It supports Python. It runs in the cloud. All you need is a browser to connect to the machine learning service and start authoring machine learning experiments. And that's actually very empowering. When you don't have to install software on a lot of machines, uh, manage data at scale in your own enterprise, and when you can put all of that in the cloud and just use a browser with no software installation to actually develop machine learning experiments, and there are lots of starter templates, a lot of templates that other data scientists are providing, and you can do all of that. It removes a lot of the friction around getting started with this. Um, and then we've uh, created also uh, finished marketplace services for things like recommendations, for forecasting, uh, for anomaly detection, and a lot of things like that that developers can just readily start using on the cloud, and they don't really even have to know data science to use these APIs. And so that's something that we are excited about, having a platform that's easy to use, something that supports open source, and a collection of finished APIs people can start using readily. I get the whole R thing, because Microsoft bought um, the company behind R, I guess, in January. But talk about why Python is a big deal, Python support. Yeah, it is actually a big deal because Python has become one of the most popular languages uh, next to Java, for example. And a lot of data scientists are starting to use Python for data analysis because it's a very intuitive, more expressive language. And there's a large collection of libraries that have now been developed in Python as well for uh, data analysis and scientific computing in general. And so a lot of scientists use this as well. And so for us to support Python, and, and in, when you support Python in the cloud, it makes the on-ramp for all of these scientists who have been using Python and statisticians and data scientists and makes it on-ramp very easy. Right. And there's also, oh, there's also SQL support, right, SQL? Yes. And that's one of the magic about the tool that we are building. We are very open and support R, Python, SQL, big data. You know, we support Hadoop. And so you have one tool, one place to go, where you can bring the assets from all of these languages and tools and do experimentation at scale in the cloud. And then from that, publish finished web services and applications that can be then integrated into anything, and integrated into phone applications, integrated into other software. And so it just becomes easy to go all the way from data to a final deployed application that has the intelligence resident in it. So, so this is, I mean, this is kind of, you know, maybe you can speak to this, Joseph, because you've been working in the machine learning space, you know, for certainly longer than I've been covering it. But like, you know, it seems like just a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, it was, you know, the idea of machine learning as a commercially viable thing really became realistic we started to see some software companies companies popping up and then whatever but now it's like i mean it seems like microsoft's vision and the vision of a lot of companies really is like you know how how simple can we make this into the point where it's a or like a graphical user interface for machine learning right i mean that i don't was that yeah. 
conceivable, you know, yeah. so long ago? Uh, yeah, I think the cloud has transformed it. The big data revolution has transformed it. But at the end of the day, I think the opportunity that uh, is available now because of the vast amount of data that is being collected from everywhere, uh, and that opportunity is what is making machine learning even more attractive. Right? Right. So all types of uh, behavior is being captured in digital ways. Our interactions on social media um, advertising, search, click, and also as most of behavior in many ways comes online on the internet, uh, the opportunity to use the data generated on interactions on websites and software uh, to tailor customer experiences, to provide better experiences for customers, to also generate new revenue opportunities and save money, all of those become you know, viable and attractive. Right, and that is driving uh, this. I mean, could 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 you do the same sort of thing in, in software? Though, does it really have to be a cloud service? I mean, does that just like eliminate all the friction, or or most of the friction, and make it, you know, a viable service? Yeah. Well, so the cloud is in many ways transformatory uh, because it is one place where you can bring all of the data together. And typically, on premise, bringing data together, landing <laughs> it in one place, integrating it, and extracting value from it has been hard to do. And a cloud makes it easy to integrate data. It makes it easy to then, in place, do machine learning on top of it. And then you can publish applications on the same cloud, and all of this process happens in one place and much faster. And that changes the game quite a bit. All right. How much effort for, for a company like Microsoft goes into the the interface on something like this, right? I mean, is that, you know, the user experience, I guess? I mean, what, you know, how, how much time goes into that versus, you know, making sure that the, the algorithms can run at scale, right? Or that you have the da right data connectors in place, stuff like that. Well, I would say both are equally important. You know, first of all, uh, if you are uh, able to use it extremely easily, and we have learned a lot from our own work internally. Microsoft uses machine learning extensively in Bing, for example. And we created extremely easy-to-use tools, which now you're seeing on the cloud uh, offered externally, that increases the productivity of doing machine learning. Right? And that's what we are building on top of. So we have uh, paid a lot of attention based on the tools that we have already developed to that user experience. And user experience comes in two ways. It's not just about the graphical workflow, but it's also about providing a lot of examples. And we created this machine learning community gallery where data scientists can share their experiments with the world. You can even tweet experiments. In fact, it is the first platform that allows you to host a machine learning experiment and tweet it out to other people, <laughs> and they can then come back and land on that platform and rerun re it and reproduce it. These are reproducible experiments, right? So, uh, you know, think about even scientists, for example. If you're a scientist developing some new algorithm in R or coding up an experiment in Python, you can now take that put it inside Azure Machine Learning, set up an experiment, and publish it to this community gallery, and share it with others all over the world, and those people can now come, rerun it in the cloud, and reproduce the results that you got. And that's actually a very big step. All right. All right. So, I mean, and I thought I thought the other interesting thing, I mean, we had on a guest last week who was talking about, or two guests last week, actually, who were talking about deep learning, and I saw this week that Microsoft added neural nets to... Um, to, to Azure ML, so I mean, I'm just I'm just curious to get your take on on the on the deep learning space and you know the kind of the resurgence of neural networks and how you know how that fits into your plans with with the product and kind of the machine learning 
business, I guess, as it were. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. You know, I started my career with neural networks. My PhD is in neural networks. I took my first class in 91. So this is close to my heart. Uh, so we have deep learning, some of the best techniques for deep learning inside Azure Machine Learning. In fact, Microsoft itself announced uh, uh, us uh, for, for the first time surpassing human performance in image recognition using deep neural networks recently. And those algorithms are in Azure Machine Learning. And it allows you to build extremely accurate predictive models. And now my take on deep learning is really this. I mean, it is actually a continuing evolution in that field. We just have now gotten to the, a level where we have identified great algorithmic tricks that allow you to take performance and accuracy to the next level. And so we are supporting a national machine learning. We will continue to keep enhancing and bringing the latest research in deep neural networks into this product. And we will also provide fully trained deep neural networks, uh, things that we have, uh, you know, we have a tremendous amount of data in images and text data and so on inside of Bing. We will use our massive compute power to learn uh, predictive models from this data and offer some of those pre-trained uh, canned deep neural networks in the future in the product so that people will find it very easy to use it. Oh, interesting. I was going to ask, like, how easy you need to make it. You know, you said you have some prepackaged APIs and stuff around recommendation engines and some other applications. And then now, I mean, you know, deep learning is kind of notoriously complicated, I guess, unless you have a, a prepackaged application or prepackaged yeah. network ready to go. So, Correct. And that's what we're hoping to do in the future, which is well, let us do the heavy lifting and then uh, prepackage it and provide it. And it will cover a lot of uh, common applications, such as image recognition or uh, speech or text analysis, et cetera. Uh, but those are all in the near future, in the next few months. Uh, so it's a roadmap uh, towards the future. But today we support uh, deep neural network training in that product, and it's actually very powerful. All right. I've got a, I would love to ask a little bit about competitive positioning, because you were at Amazon before you came to Microsoft. and. I'm curious if you see the the end user, you know, targeted customer as the same group of people, or is the Microsoft targeted audience more enterprisey, bigger companies versus startups? Well, we are actually going after a broad audience with something like machine learning. Uh, we want to make it as simple as possible, even for students in a high school or in a college, right? In my um, way of thinking about it, if you're doing statistics in high school, you should be able to use uh, machine the uh, Microsoft machine learning tool, uh, run R code, your statistical analysis on it. And you can teach machine learning and statistical analysis using this tool if you so choose to. And then all the way to the enterprise as well, enterprise developers, really don't have one good integrated tool today. The tools that they have are fairly arcane and to uh, really do this at scale and deploy solutions, they have to go through so many hoops. So we are looking to change the way machine learning is done and analytics is done overall and how value is extracted from data with this. And so we are going after that broad ecosystem uh, of both enterprises, partners, independent software vendors, and even academics. And, and, and are startups in the mix there? Because one thing I keep hearing from, you know, kind of Silicon Valley-based companies is that when it comes to cloud in general, it's it's pretty much Amazon and not Microsoft. Is that just a geographic thing or? 
or what? Well, I think, uh, look, Amazon had a lead on us, right? I think Amazon uh, Cloud started multiple years before we launched our cloud. And that, uh, as a result of that, obviously, there is much broader uh, recognition of the cloud. Uh, but Microsoft is actually growing really fast uh, at a very significant pace, and we are catching up in a big way. And uh, because we are able to offer enterprises a very easy on-ramp, I mean, they are already using a lot of Microsoft's tools like Active Directory on-site for user authentication and so on. So we are able to offer them a solution that fits their needs very well, and that is helping. And so while a lot of early adopters have embraced uh, our competitors' cloud, I think the the mass of uh, enterprises that are about to go into the cloud and stepping into there are actually, we are hoping, they'll find our cloud the more attractive option to start with. How important are applications and all this? Because it seems to me, and I've written this before, you know, is, is that, that Microsoft's big advantage seems to be applications, right? In the sense that you can, you have experience delivering these things, you know, I mean, the Azure ML is just one example of it, but you have experience delivering these things as an application. It's not, you know, and you don't have to rely, I guess, so much on, on a, you know, a, an infrastructure service to, to bring people in. Exactly. And, and I think that is the distinction uh, for the cloud in the future. Look, the easiest thing to adopt is infrastructure as a service for early adopters, uh, people who are ready to program, people who are ready to build their solutions from the ground up. They just need a virtual machine in the cloud and some storage in the cloud and programming environment. And so for the early uh, adopters who are willing to do the hard work, uh, the typical infrastructure as a service approach is, uh, uh, is, is good enough. But when you go from that early adopter to crossing the chasm to the mass uh, uh, of enterprises who don't have the staff and the skills to do all of that hard work, then the platform as a service solutions that remove that heavy lifting and provide the type of solutions you want in a very simple way to consume uh, becomes extremely important. And so now Azure, uh, with its SQL databases, with HD Insight as a service, Azure Machine Learning, and then even more finished applications on top of it, recommendations, forecasting, uh, et cetera, that can even be called from Excel spreadsheets. When you actually simplify things to that level, then it becomes uh, easy for the large mass of enterprises to adopt, and that's what we're betting on. I would think Excel is your guy's ace in the hole. I mean, there are so many people who are in Excel, deep in the guts of Excel every single day. Do you agree? Completely agree. And uh, for example, we have now made it easy to call into Azure Machine Learning Services from Excel. And we will continue to improve that. And so imagine a financial analyst with a lot of their financial data in a spreadsheet. Uh, just in uh, a few clicks, uh, sending data to a forecasting service in the cloud and getting forecasts back and visualizing it in that same spreadsheet and charting it and starting to use it. And that's a very common example where it will be actually extremely easy to use. And so that kind of ease of use is what we're shooting for as well in the future. How do you look at the, I mean, you talk about this, this kind of layer of services, if you will. I mean, maybe with you know, you have the storage, the cloud storage, and you have something like HD Insight, which is the Hadoop, and then you have kind of the applications on top. Like, where do you see the, the, the business breaking down? I mean, do you see more people wanting to buy HD Insight because they feel like they need Hadoop? Do you think you want people heading up the stack and starting? You know, are people going to head up and kind of start at, at a higher level? Like, how do you actually see the business shaping up? Well, I think as uh, uh, businesses evolve, uh, they are going to really adopt uh, 
specific applications they need. Say, let's say they need a SQL database. They're just going to subscribe to a service in the cloud for a SQL database as opposed to go to the hardware of buying hardware for running the database, buying a network-attached uh, storage, uh, assembling all of that together in IT and taking eight months to start uh, to have a simple database going. And, and on the cloud in minutes, you can have it, you can have it uh, backed up with geo-replication so that it's reliable. And so everything becomes a service, right? And I think that's uh, the future of the cloud where every type of compute and every type of application you want just becomes a service that is so easy to use, you don't have to worry about anything else. And so that's where people are migrating over time. And it takes a little time to get there because um, the early adopters either go just program things on their own, and uh, enterprises that actually want the applications already have some rudimentary applications, uh, so to speak, relatively rudimentary, but on-premise. And so now they're thinking about shifting to the cloud service, uh, especially because of the economics of the cloud and the flexibility. Uh, and it, it takes a little time for enterprises to move, but that's a very clear direction that everyone's heading in. All right. And then, and then just finally, Joseph, I'm wondering, I mean, so Microsoft has a corporate vice president of machine learning now, which is a title I guess <laughs> I haven't heard before. It's, it, it bought Revolution Analytics, you know, and so now it can, I mean, it's, it's, it's neck deep into the R space, Hadoop, deep learning, all this stuff. I mean, it, I mean, is Microsoft becoming, I mean, is, it, is, it, is the, I mean, like how big of the future of Microsoft, I guess, is, you know, the, the world of data? I mean, how, how big of it, it seems like it's just a growing facet of the business at this point. I'm wondering how big or how important it's going to be yeah. going forward. I, I think that's a great question because I think you should uh, even first ask how big is the world of data to computing itself? And I would say that in the future, uh, a huge uh, part of the value being generated in the field of computing, uh, that value is going to come from data as opposed to storage and operating systems and basic infrastructure, right? It's the data that is most valuable. And if that is where, in computing industry, most of the value is going to be generated, uh, well, that is one place where Microsoft will generate a large amount of its value as well. And we actually really see a big future in data because data is a big future of computing itself. All right, great. And, you know, with that, I think we're out of time. I want to, you know, let, let listeners know that if they want to hear more from Joseph and Barb and me, they can come to our Structured <laughs> Data Conference next month. And uh, yes, Joseph will be on stage with Barb, and yeah. I'll be all over the place. So uh, with that, thanks, thanks again, Joseph, and thanks for listening. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Barb. Bye.